We're going to read Hebrews 10 and we're going to begin at verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. And then continuing from verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, and but my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This is the word of the Lord. It's a real privilege and a pleasure to be here with you um, this morning. I've chosen this reading um, because there's three encouragements I want to give you at the start um, of this new year. Um, the encouragement to draw near, the encouragement to hold on, and the encouragement to spur one another on. Draw near, hold on, spur one another on. Those are in the first uh, few verses that we had read from verses uh, 22 to 24. Um, but I also included that latter bit, um, verses uh, 36 or 34 to 39, I think it is, um, because it reminds us that this letter to the Hebrews, one of the first letters written in our Bibles, was written in the context of persecution. It was written to a church that was experiencing persecution, had experienced persecution, and was supporting those who experienced persecution. And all throughout the church's history, there have been followers of Jesus who've experienced hardship because of their faith in Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And I say that just to give us a context to remind us that the, when we think about our persecuted church, we're not a uh, church family, we're not thinking about something abnormal. We're not thinking about something that has somehow gone wrong. Uh, we're not thinking about a situation where God has somehow let things get out of control. 
we're actually talking about normal Christianity, normal churches, and part and parcel of being a Christian and being a normal Christian in a normal church is that at different times, in different places, persecution um, will come. It's estimated that at the moment around one in seven of our Christian family around the world live in contexts where they face extreme discrimination or persecution. And at Open Doors, we talk about the kind of the smash and the squeeze of persecution. And the smash with the things that you read about in the papers or see in the news or hear about uh, through your, your church. Um, churches being burned down, pastors being uh, kidnapped, children uh, being taken from their families. That's the really kind of hard end of persecution. But there's also uh, the squeeze of persecution, the kind of insidious, suffocating blanket of persecution that squeezes out all life and all hope out of you. You've got a wonderful building here. Um, I'm sure we're going to go over to a lovely hall and have a great uh, meal together um, this afternoon. And I'm sure when, when things go wrong in this building, as they inevitably do, that you've got some, some paperwork to do. You have to send off letters to the diocese. You have to get a faculty and then you get permission. And you're able to put things right. At least that's how it was in my diocese. I don't know if it's any easier over here. Uh, but what if you had to get permission from the local mayor? to fix the leak in the roof or extend a room for children's ministry? What if you had to get permission from the local council leader just to meet together and have a meal after the service? And what if every time you asked for permission for those things, it was routinely denied? No, you can't fix your roof. No, you can't extend your building. No, you can't meet together. No, you can't teach the children the ways of Jesus. That's the suffocating squeeze of persecution too. To a persecuted church, the writer to the Hebrews says, draw near, hold on, spur one another on. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Jesus said that he came to Seek and save the lost. He said that as he was lifted up, he would draw people from all nations to himself. At Christmas, we've just celebrated the light coming into the darkness. In Easter, soon to come, we will celebrate um, the life of the world, dying for the sins of the world, and then rising again victorious. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, reminds them of the hope that they have in Christ. You who once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ because he himself is our peace. This is our inheritance. When I was at school, I remember getting a school report. And it said, Lee is able, but he has a tendency to shrink back. Let somebody else ask the question. Let somebody else be the team captain. Let somebody else do it. Abel but has a tendency to draw back. I've got two sons. My youngest son, Aaron, is a, is a keen footballer. 
Um, he's coached by an academy team, I realise, talking about football in Nottingham is a sensitive subject here in Leicester um, this morning, but let's just set that aside. Uh, he's a defender, and when he gets the ball in defence, his coaches uh, shout to him, step up, step up. They want him to take the ball and carry it forward. They want him to press on into midfield. And the writer to the Hebrews here is encouraging them to, to step up, to not shrink back, but to step forward, to, to draw near to the God who's drawn near to them in Jesus Christ. Come to me, says Jesus, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is still drawing people to himself all around the world. I want to share with you three stories this morning. The first story is Dea's story. Uh, Dea grew up in an Islamic country in Southeast Asia, very devout religious family. Uh, by age 12, she'd memorized the Quran in its entirety. Very good household, very moral, very, very strict. Um, as, a, as a teenager, uh, she was attacked by a family friend, a well-respected member of the community. As a result of that attack, I won't go into the details, but she became pregnant. She was brought before the courts and charged with adultery. She wasn't married. She was imprisoned and she was sentenced to a hundred lashes as a punishment for her crime and uh, two years in prison. While she was in prison, she became ill with malaria, and so she was transferred to the hospital. While she was in hospital, there was a, a man on the ward who came over, a foreigner, uh, took an interest in her, asked her about her story. She told him uh, what had happened to her. She didn't know it at the time, but that man was a Christian. He was a missionary doctor, and he'd felt God's call to go to her country to uh, share faith through his medical um, expertise. A couple of weeks after that encounter, Dea was moved back into her, her prison cell. She had a parcel arrive, which was unusual, didn't usually uh, get anything. Uh, she opened it up, and it was a Bible. And she was disgusted. Because she knew if she was caught with a Bible in the prison, her sentence would be extended. And so she determined she would just burn the Bible and get rid of it, and that would be that. And of course, the Bible had been sent by the missionary pastor who'd met her in the hospital. She took a match. She was about to burn it. And then she thought, well, I'm in prison anyway. What more can they do to me? I might as well read it before I burn it. And so she opened it in the middle. And the first, psalm, first words she read were these, Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, even before one of them came to be. There says this. For the next nine months, I read the book every day. I read things I'd never heard of before, about a God who is loving and forgiving. I read about the life of the Lord Jesus. All the things I read were new, and although there was nobody to explain anything to me, the Spirit was there, and I understood 
the Lord Jesus is my saviour and my God. On a release day return to her family, she couldn't help revealing her new relationship with Jesus. Her family disowned her. Her community turned against her. She had to flee to a neighbouring country. And that was where Open Doors came into the picture and was able to provide some support and able to help her to um, be integrated into a a local church, a a Christian family um, who would care for her. Dea is still in contact with her community. Uh, The community that made her an outsider, the community that cast her out, the, the family that wanted nothing to do with her. And occasionally, members of that community visit Dea's city for medical care. And when they need somewhere to stay, they stay in Dea's apartment. And she cooks meals for them, and she serves them, and she prays that they will come to know Jesus in the same way that she has. Draw near, says God. He is drawing people across the world to himself. Our inheritance is that we can have fellowship with him. That we can know sins forgiven, uh, grace for living. Draw near, as Dea draws near. The second encouragement is to, to hold on. Let us hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. We hold on because God holds on to us. We hold on to the one who will never let us go. So I've got a youngest son, Aaron. My eldest son is called Ethan. My middle child is called Lily. Uh, They're all teenagers now, but I remember walking them um, to school when they were all really little. And we would get to the road, road and I would say, hold on. And I would grab the two youngest hands and we would walk across the road. And before we cross the road, I would always say, hold on, hold on tight. Have you got me? Yes, Dad. And then we go. And of course, the reality is they've got very little strength in those tiny little hands. They held on to me, but I really held on to them. There was no way I was going to let them out of my grasp. Jesus is the good shepherd, uh, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. In that wonderful passage in John 10 where he talks about being the good shepherd, he says this, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Favourite verse from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 41. I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. So my encouragement to you as a church today and as uh, Christians today is to hold on. Hold on tightly to the God who holds on to you. And it will never let you be snatched out of his hand. I want to tell you the story of uh, Pastor Andrew holding on. Pastor Andrew um, is a pastor in northern Nigeria. 
Northern Nigeria is one of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. More Christians were killed in Nigeria last year than any other country um, in the world, over 5,000. There's an insurgency going on there, uh, a combination of Fulani herdsmen and Boko Haram, who are a a terrorist group, and they're targeting Christian villages, uh, seeking to drive Christians um, off their land. Pastor Andrew um, had experienced um, a, a terrorist attack by Boko Haram had been forced to move, and so he settled in a new village called Guyaki, and uh, he was pastoring a church there, and he warned the church that they might have to one day uh, be prepared for persecution. And the church said to him, well, we don't need to worry about that. We get on well. There's good community relations here, different faiths. We live side by side. We're, we're, we're fine. And then one evening, just as he was settling down to bed, uh, there was a knock on the door. And a panicked voice said, Boko Haram are coming, Boko Haram are coming. And he knew what this meant. Quickly got up, got his wife and his children, got them out of bed. They, they ran out of the house, they ran through the village, they knocked on other villagers' doors. They said, Boko Haram are coming, Boko Haram are coming. They fled up to the hills. There in the hills, they saw the militia enter the town. They saw them go from house to house, asking where the Christians were. Sadly, they saw some members of their church be killed in the street. Pastor Andrew watched as his house was burnt to the ground. And then the church was burnt to the ground. They stayed there in the forest all night until Boko Haram had uh, fled. And then they returned down to the village. Pastor Andrew said this. We lost everything. At the time, I thought the church would never recover. Let's just give up. Let's just lay down. Let's just admit defeat. No, the encouragement is hold on. Hold on. Hold on to the faith we unswervingly profess. And so Pastor Andrew gathered people together. They gathered together and they began to rebuild their church. And then Open Doors came alongside and were able to help with some money to buy building materials to rebuild the church. We were also able to bring other pastors who'd experienced similar things to the village. We were able to share their experience of persecution and to bring hope and bring comfort. And say, you can get through the other side. We triumphed over this, and you will be able to triumph over this too. We've moved on with scars, and you'll be scarred, but you'll be able to move on with us too. Pastor Andrew's church was rebuilt. Not only was it rebuilt, but it was extended. And a church which was a church of 300 is now a church of 450. Pastor Andrew has moved on from that community to another community and planted another church and is encouraging them in the face of persecution. Let us hold on. Let us hold on to the faith that we profess. And finally, let us spur one another on. Let us encourage uh, one another. Verse 24. 
Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's why we're meeting together this morning, isn't it? It's the Lord's Day, so we come together to be encouraged, to be encouraged by the word being read, to be encouraged by the word being explained, to be encouraged by meeting one another in in our church building, by catching up one another, to be encouraged as our spirits soar as we worship together. St Paul's most well-known analogy for the church is of a body that is interconnected, uh, different parts, hands, eyes, feet, uh, ligaments. If one part suffers, all suffer. I love the word encouragement. Encouragement literally means put courage into. So courage is a kind of liquid that can just be kind of poured into somebody. Time and again, we're encouraged in the scriptures to exhort one another, to build one another up. That's a ministry that's very close to the heart of Open Doors. To encourage the persecuted church, but also to encourage the church that doesn't know direct persecution. To bring strength and and hope and purpose and peace. I'm going to close by showing a video. And it's the video of one of our encouragers. Uh, She's not British. She's a lady called Rebecca. Uh, Her ministry is in China. She's what we call one of our uh, field workers. And her ministry is a ministry of encouragement amongst North Korean refugees. One of the hardest places in this world to be a Christian is in North Korea. In fact, one of the hardest places to live any kind of life is in North Korea. And every year, uh, people escape, some Christians, some not Christians, uh, escape into China. And there they have no status. They're often uh, victims of people trafficking. And Open Doors has a ministry amongst those uh, refugees. Draw near, hold on, spur one another on. Let me lead us in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Holy Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the ministry here. Uh, I thank you for the witness in this community for many, many years. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to build up your people. That you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would uh, bring direction where it's needed. Lord, I ask your blessing on all the Outreaches that are planned for this year for Alpha courses and discussion groups and ministry to young and old. Lord, may this church continue to always be a beacon of your love. Give wisdom to those who are in authority. Give grace uh, to those who serve. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we thank you for the testimonies that we've heard today. Pray particularly for Rebecca and others like her. Pray for uh, women who will be meeting this week in China who've been trafficked from North Korea. Lord, that you protect them, that you'd reveal your love, that you'd uh, provide a means of escape. Watch over Rebecca and other workers like her. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.